This is a cold, solemn, serious place. This is a place people come to remember. Their deepest emotions are felt here. Their deepest grief is experienced here. People are weeping with this ache and weight of loss and regret in their chests because there's a finality to this place, to death. You've probably been here before or somewhere like it. Do you remember the feeling, the finality, the loss? I do. In the midst of that moment, can you imagine someone coming up to you with tears in his eyes and he says, that person you love, your wife, your son, your brother, your friend, your mom, your hopes, your dreams, your life, that person, that person will rise again. And you probably think, yeah, sure, maybe someday. But he looks at you right in the eyes and he says, I am that someday. I am the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Your head is spinning with emotion and confusion. And he, he says, remove the stone. Start digging. No more explanation than that. Do you believe this? You've heard that this man has performed miracles and has a power beyond anything that you can understand, but, but can he do this? What do you do? Remove the stone? Start digging? Do you dig? Do you believe this? That's the question that we all must answer today. And what you just saw, that was a modern version of a sort uh, set in our own town cemetery of a story that takes place in the Bible. And that story in the Bible asks that very question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That story is found in John 11. It's one of the biographies of Jesus found in the Bible. And it's 53 verses long. And you've got this, uh, this handout in your bulletin. Uh, and it lists the whole thing here. I'm not going to read all 53 verses, but I want to tell you this story. But you've got it here. It's also on the, on the Bible on the back of the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, I... I encourage you to grab one of those, take it home with you today, where you can read more of these stories of Jesus. But this story of Jesus and Lazarus, this guy named Lazarus, Lazarus is this person that everybody loves. I mean, think of that person you know that when that person comes into town, everybody drops everything to be with them. That when you hang out with this person, that's the person that just makes you feel encouraged and, and loved. And you're so pumped up to be able to spend some time with them. And in Jesus' day, that's this guy Lazarus. And Jesus is friends with Lazarus. He loves him. 
Lazarus also has two sisters, Mary and Martha. All these people are probably even names that you have still heard of today, 2,000 years later. That's pretty significant. So Lazarus ends up getting sick. He lives in a town called Bethany, and he's getting sick even to the point of being close to death. And Jesus is away off at this time. And so the sisters send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. We need you to come. And when he hears that, it says he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Well, what's going on with that? Why does Jesus stay two days longer? But, but he does. And then it says that he heads out from there after those two days with a group of his friends that we call disciples. And as these friends head out and they're walking on their way to this town of Bethany, Jesus tells his friends that Lazarus is dead. And, and we, we end up finding out that he's actually been in the tomb for four days. We don't know more about that. We don't know. We don't see somebody telling Jesus that he's dead. He just tells his friends that he's dead. But earlier in the story, if you were reading along with me, you would notice that Jesus had already said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified from it. Okay, wait a minute, right? Like, so if Jesus had already said, this sickness is not going to end in death, but now he says, Lazarus is dead, what's going on with this story? How is this story going to end? So he's, he's heading into the town, and he's still outside of this village of Bethany that Lazarus is from. And one of the sisters, Martha, she gets up and heads out to meet Jesus. And I think she's upset. I think she's kind of hot and goes up to confront Jesus. And she says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And then Jesus, in his sort of mysterious way that he speaks at times, says, your brother will rise again. And I think Martha's got this sense of, you know, yeah, yeah, I know, right? On the, on the last day, you know, all will rise. I get some of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about now. And then Jesus looks at her and he says these words to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then he asks that question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Martha actually answers, yes, Lord. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And then Martha heads out and she heads back to the village and, and then uh, and goes to get her sister Mary. And Mary had been grieving and she has all these people around her that are grieving with her. And she gets up out of her grief and heads out to meet Jesus at kind of the edge of town. And she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could hear that, that emotion and the regret and the, the finality of death where why did you not come? There's this disappointment that she has. 
And it says that Jesus sees her. And he's moved with compassion. And it says even here that in the midst of this, before he even heads into town, that Jesus wept. Jesus himself weeps. And I think not even for his friend Lazarus, but for Mary, for Martha, for these other friends around that that are sad and they don't really know what's going to happen in the rest of this story. And so what happens next is people notice this. They notice Jesus' emotion and his love for his friend, but some question, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he come and do something about it? Why didn't he come sooner and heal him? And it says again that Jesus is deeply moved within and he heads up to the tomb where this cave-like tomb is with a stone rolled against it. And he comes up to the tomb and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't give any preamble. He doesn't give any direction. He doesn't say what he's going to do. He just walks up after this man had been in this tomb for four days and he just says, remove the stone. Remove the stone. And there's this moment where, you know, where Martha's this pragmatist and she says, Yeah, but Lord, it's going to smell really bad. He's been in there for four days. And he looks at her and he says, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so then Jesus starts to get sort of different, I think. He's, He's focused. He's locked in on something. It says he looks up into the sky and he prays this prayer. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And then... He cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the heartbeat starts. And the man that was dead in that tomb for four days gets up on his own feet and walks out of the tomb. And he's got all those sort of mummy-looking wrappings all over him. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. And then it says in there that many believed, but that some still ran off to go tell the religious leaders of Jerusalem what had happened. Because Jesus was a threat to their power. And so this is that story. That's this story of Jesus and Lazarus. The story of Jesus taking someone from death to life. From a flat line to a beating heart. And it's the beginnings of this story of the resurrection, the big one that we're actually here to celebrate today. But we start here because I want us to see that Jesus had the power to make people come to life. Jesus had that power himself. We even have seen him do it earlier uh, with a little girl that he brought back to life. And then he brings Lazarus to life here. Incredible story, amazing story. And it has this this great verse in the middle of the story where, where Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he asks that question, do you believe this? 
I don't think this is a question just for Martha back 2,000 years ago. I think this is a question for all of us today. This is who Jesus says he is. Do you believe this? You know, it's, it's interesting. These, these sisters, Mary and Martha, they're, they're disappointed with Jesus. They're disappointed with him, and, and their hearts are broken, and their hope is lost because they had defined their hope according to their own minds. They had defined how Jesus would come through for them in the way that they could understand, that Jesus had to show up before Lazarus died and heal him, right? That is what they expected. That's how they had defined what their hope was. And so then when Jesus waits a couple days, they're upset. They're disappointed. And they don't understand what's going on. But what's interesting is, you know the end of the story, right? We just told the whole story. So you know how this story of John 11 ends. You know that Jesus is going to say, Lazarus, come forth, and that he comes up out of that grave. And it's this amazing ending to the story. But they didn't know the ending in the middle of it. And so they expected Jesus to work in the way that their minds could understand. And I think how true is that for us? Where we don't know the end of God's big, of God's big story. We don't know what's going to happen in detail in the end. But, you know, we haven't seen it yet. But we tend to then now be disappointed when God doesn't come through for us in the here and now in the way that we want him to. We get disappointed because our, our expectations don't match our realities. And I think a lot of us can be, you know, can relate to this kind of disappointment. I think even in a little bit of a, a lighter way, we can relate to this kind of disappointment. I don't know how often you've looked up at the menu screen at a hamburger place and seen the picture of expectation, and then you're served this reality, right? Uh, you might have had an idyllic version of what you thought fatherhood would look like, but really it's a toddler on your face at 5.30 a.m., In our, in our local mountains, uh, we, we get a little bit of snow and we want to race up the hill to build a snowman and we think it's going to be on the left, but really it's the picture on the right. You feel me? You with me on that? We, we try to put ourselves out there with uh, what we look like on our, our social media and we want to look our best and present our best lives. And this is what we think we look like on the left, but then we show up looking like the right. This is, this is life. These expectations don't match reality. We, we go to travel somewhere and we have this amazing image of walking by ourselves on the Great Wall of China. But that's really what we get, you know. And we get sold souvenirs and trinket stands and thousands of people. And so often we have unmet expectations or expectations that where the reality doesn't feel like it matches. And all this stuff is silly, of course, but... I think we can relate to being disappointed with God when our expectations don't seem to match what, what we have expected of God. Because we place upon God our expectations of how he should come through when he has an eternal mindset and a different view of, of what your glory can be. You know, Martha has this response of saying like, yeah, yeah, I know about this sort of end times thing, but God, I want hope for now. 
I need help right now. And then Jesus looks at her and says, hey, the resurrection isn't just a theory or a doctrine. The resurrection is a person. It's God standing in front of you in the flesh. And I'm saying to you, I am the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the life. I am the moment. I am what you need. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. And he says to her, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You're suffering now. It's hard now. But if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Because you have to die to your expectations so that God can do the new thing that he wants to do in you. You get that? When we, when we just have these expectations and we need God to work in the way we want him to work, we're going to miss out on this new thing that God wants to do in you that's beyond what your mind can even comprehend. That's what God has for you. And, and so when you're disappointed with God and you feel like God is absent or he's not coming through for you, I want you to realize that. And I also want you to realize that it's in that moment for Mary and Martha that Jesus himself weeps. That it says that he sees them and is moved with compassion for them. So you have a God who loves you in that kind of way. That even though he knows the end of the story in a way that you will never be able to comprehend, he loves you and grieves with you in your times of momentary suffering here. And it is this different kind of grief that we, that we have. It's a different kind of sorrow. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Our sorrow, our sorrow should lead us to Jesus. And as it does, we know that we have hope. It's not sorrow of the world that just produces meaninglessness and death. We have a sorrow even that is beyond any that the world could experience. And what's interesting here too is that when Jesus comes in the story, when Jesus finally goes up to the tomb, it shows him, go up to the tomb of Lazarus, and he just says these simple words, remove the stone. Again, he doesn't tell them what he's going to do. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't say, okay, and and then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. If you just wait this long, you'll see this. He just walks up and says, remove the stone. Do you realize that's a crazy thing to say? Right? Like, it is literally, if you were at the cemetery, and someone that you care about has died four days earlier, or was buried four days earlier, and they're in the ground, and Jesus comes up to you at that cemetery and says, start digging. It's just, no, probably, right? Like, what are you talking about? And so these people have to respond with some sort of faith based on what they know about Jesus. And who he is. Because they could have just still been filled with resentment because he hadn't showed up on time. And just said, you know what, no, I'm sick of this, Jesus. I've had enough. They could have thought it was just too much and too crazy. They could have not responded. They could have said no and missed out on the new thing that God wanted to do beyond their expectations. But they don't. They say yes. They remove the stone. And they see their friend, their brother, 
come to life. It's this incredible, beautiful, amazing moment and miracle. And it, it doesn't show you the party that probably happens afterwards, but I want to see some of that, right? I want to see what happens next. Are they just in this moment of just this celebration and feasting and what's happening here? Maybe kind of like this. Today we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and we go to brunch or to our homes to feast and celebrate and celebrate the fact that he is alive. And I think it's, it's just an amazing, beautiful moment. Uh, you know, we do, we celebrate today. And even though today is April Fool's Day, right, uh, this is no joke. This is real. But hopefully you've had some fun today. I don't know if any of you have had some fun. I did have some fun at my poor kid's expense this morning. Uh, we, we did have a little April Fool's fun, and we did this one. This is... Uh, Hopefully you got a chance to do some April Fool's Day Easter pranks. All right, this is, these are chocolate covered, or uh, foil wrapped chocolate eggs that then took out the chocolate and put in a grape on the inside. And then their Easter basket, yay! So this one worked beautifully today. Uh, We also did this one where that hollow chocolate Easter bunny, you just kind of do a little hole in the bottom, fill that thing with mustard, you bite in, it's just just a lovely surprise. It's a good match. The chocolate, yeah, the chocolate and mustard are a great pairing. It's on Ratatouille. Uh, <laughs> uh, you still <laughs> stop giving them ideas I heard from the crowd from a little one. All right. Now, here's ones that you could maybe even do still for tonight. Um, you've got cake pops. Everybody loves cake pops. Well, instead, put a Brussels sprout in the middle. It's awesome. You bite in, you get that. <clears throat> This next one's probably the easiest one you can still do tonight for your family. So easy. Sponge cake. All right? Just get some sponges. Yes. You got this. It's not too late for you. You can still do this. And then, you know, hashtag Calvary Life or something on your Instagram. But, uh, (laughs) and, uh, you know, cover it with frosting. You go to slice into it. A little surprise. But these are fun. These are fun things that you can do with your family. But because it's uh, April Fool's. But for real, this is no joke. This is real. And there's funny things that we can do. But this is real. That Jesus has come to life. And he can transform your life as well. And just to show you how real this is, I want to show you uh, a story of a friend of mine named Sal that has some really serious and, and rough things happen in his life and to see Jesus meet him and transform him. to talk about it but if I don't tell the truth then I can't help people you give life you are love you bring light to the darkness I was flown in a helicopter to the hospital it was because I had a gunshot wound in my chest and I was able to see myself lying on the ground bleeding to death and I could see the surroundings and praying I was asking for forgiveness and I was praying to God take me with you 
I don't want to be here. I don't want to suffer anymore. I disappointed my family. And I've been doing wrong. And I was not the right example for my kids. I was a bad example. Being in love with money, being in love with business, and um, I lost them all. And I got these businesses through doing bad things, being in love with money making easy money. I thought I was on top of the world. And now, my money is God. And I'm in love and passionate about the Bible, Jesus Christ, and God. Physically reborn after February 20th, 2017, to worship the Lord, to follow Jesus Christ's steps. This is where I'm at now, here at Calvary Church, because alone you're not gonna win. You need to be with a team of people that can guide you the right way. Jesus Christ wasn't alone. He always had his disciples and I was alone. I was alone in my own war because I was fighting the law. I was trying to be smarter than them. I was not forgiven because anything I did, I was forgiven because of what Jesus did. I might have died, but now I'm alive. And not just alive, alive in Christ. Thank the Lord. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we're grateful for what God is, has done and is doing in Sal's life. And obviously he didn't kind of explain in detail everything going on there. But some of us have had dramatic things happen in our life like Sal. And then there's others where maybe we're just in those moments like Sal was talking about even of just being successful but apart from God. And so we might be feeling good about ourselves, but we still have a sense of, of a lack of meaning and purpose and, and something missing. See, Jesus had the power to change Sal's life, and Jesus has the power to change your life, but only because Jesus had the power to come to life himself after his own death. You see, all of this would be meaningless if it weren't for the resurrection. What we celebrate today is everything. Because if Jesus raised a guy from the dead, or if Jesus healed people, or if Jesus preached some great messages, wouldn't matter if he was dead and stayed dead. He'd be another guy, another prophet, but he didn't stay dead. 
He came back to life again with power over sin and death. And it's amazing. What's crazy too is this story in, in John 11 of, of Lazarus. It's, it's so astonishing to me how at the end of it, these people rush off to conspire to kill Jesus because he just raised somebody to life. Right? Like, I feel like my response would be to fall on my face in worship or run in fear or something. But to, to want to kill him, to take him out, just doesn't seem like the response that this act merits. But it is. It's what they do. And it's just very shortly after this whole story happens. It's in this town of Bethany. And then out of that town, Jesus rides on a donkey and comes down the Mount of Olives... Into the, uh, into the city of Jerusalem. And it's on that day we call Palm Sunday, a week ago today, where these people were waving palm fronds before him, throwing their cloaks before him as he goes into the city. And they're, they're shouting these praises, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And less than a week later, that same person that they praise will be executed by the Romans And by the religious leaders of Jerusalem, they execute him on the cross. He is killed upon that cross. And he goes willingly to that cross, even though he knew the agony, both physically and emotionally, that he would suffer upon it. He goes willingly to take the sin of the world, of you and I, upon himself in that moment. What's amazing about the crucifixion is it says this about it in Romans 5.8. It says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It does not say, I will die on the cross for you. When, you know, when you get your life together, when you stop sinning, when you're a success, I'll, I'll go ahead and die for you then. It doesn't say, I'll die on the cross for you if you do this for me. No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we have done wrong, while we are in the midst of doing wrong, that's when Christ died for us. And then he's buried. And then on the third day, it says... He comes back to life again. That's the resurrection. The resurrection is this incredible moment because, you see, Lazarus was brought back to life. He dies. He comes back to life. But he dies again. Okay? Lazarus died and he stayed dead. That's, he, got to, he just got like a little bit more time, basically. Okay? Jesus dies He comes back to life of his own power and is still alive today and will be alive forever. That's what we celebrate. And that's what we know. If you've got this this outline with all the, the verses that we're looking at today, on the back you see the part that says John 1940 to 2018. And this has the story. It talks about how he's buried in that first paragraph. And then in 20 verse 1 it says... Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. That's today, while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she runs off to go get Peter and John, and they come, and they look in, and they see that the tomb is empty, except for the linen wrappings are laying there. 
And what was on his head was, was kind of rolled up and, and put to the side. And they think that somebody has taken away his body. And, and, and they are trying to figure out what's going on. And, and they come in and they look and they still think someone had taken it. And you see in verse 9 it says, They still didn't understand that he must rise again from the dead. So Mary's standing outside the tomb weeping. And as she weeps, she looks inside the tomb. And she sees two angels there. They're sitting there at the tomb. And they say, why are you weeping? She says, they've taken away my Lord. And then she turns around and sees a man standing there. And she thinks he's the gardener and says, where have they taken him? And he just looks at her and he says her name. Jesus said to her, Mary. And as he says it, she realizes it's him. It's Jesus. And she clings to him in that moment. And she knows it's Jesus alive. And Jesus says, stop clinging to me. Go tell the boys. And she runs off and tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord. That's the story. That's the story that we celebrate, that Jesus is alive. And I love that moment that Jesus says her name. Mary. And she knows it's him. I imagine Jesus saying my name, Eric, and I see that it's him. Imagine Jesus saying your name to you today. And you realize that he is God. He is alive. He is who he says he is. He says your name to you today. And he has the power for you to come to life Today and for eternity. Jesus had the power to bring people back to life. Jesus had the power to bring himself back to life. And because of that, he has the power for you to come to life today and for eternity. Because you see, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need someone to save us. We cannot save ourselves. So our only hope is in Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. That Jesus is our only hope. So we place our hope and trust in him. And our response to that is to respond to the free gift he has given. I want to read you two more verses. One is Romans 6.23. It's by the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words to the church in Rome. And he says this, for the wages of sin is death. Wages, that's what we earn by working, right? We earn wages. We, by our works, have earned the wages of death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift, it's a free gift that is given of eternal life. Paul writes about it again in another letter he writes to people that live in Ephesus. And he says this, For by grace you have been saved. Not by, or through faith, you know, not of yourselves. He says, you are saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is mercy that you don't deserve. That's why you are saved. And then he says, again, it is the gift of God. It's a gift, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this whole thing, this salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, 
spending eternity with God in the new heaven and new earth that he will create for us. That is given to you as a free gift. So what do you do if it's your birthday or it's Christmas? What do you do if you are offered a gift? What's your job? What's your role? Your job is to receive the gift, right? That's it. You just receive it. You don't have to do a bunch of stuff to earn it. You just receive the gift. And so that's what Jesus says to you today. I offer you a free gift. Simply receive it. Receive it. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so I ask you today, how is God moving in your heart? What is going on inside you today? In your bulletins, you have this little piece of paper, this card. I'd ask you all to get it out. That question was asked in the, in the story, do you believe this? I ask you that question now. Do you believe this? That God has made a way for your heart that was dead, for your heart of stone, your heart of iron, to be made soft, to be healed, to be turned into a heart of flesh. That God will heal you, that God is offering you this free gift today. There's a couple options on this card. The first says, for the first time, I choose to place my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to turn and follow him today. I receive the free gift of salvation. The second box says, In the past, I have known about God and even attended church, but drifted away from following Jesus with my whole heart. I choose to renew my relationship with Jesus and seek to honor him today. So I'd ask you, if you're in a place to check one of those boxes today, maybe you hear the voice of God saying your name to you today and asking you to receive that free gift. The reason I'd want you to check this box and put your name and email or phone number on that is because you can't do this alone. Like Sal said, you can't do this by yourself. We need each other. We need to come alongside one another, and that's all we want. We want to come alongside you and help you in that. And so in a moment, we're going to take our offering. We'll receive our offering. And in this moment, I would ask for you, if you've checked one of those boxes and filled that out on that card, just to drop that in there as your gift today. Okay? That's what you can drop in the offering. For the rest of us, this is our chance to worship God through our giving to Him, as we'll worship God in our singing to Him. As we worship God with how we live our lives in response to what He has done. So we will continue to celebrate and worship that Jesus is alive and He's calling your name today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you today and Lord, we're just so grateful, so thankful, God, for what you have done, that we have a hope that has such power behind it represented today on this Resurrection Sunday. Lord, thank you for the power of the resurrection. Lord, thank you that you aren't just a God of words, but you are a God of power. That you had power over death, power over sin, the power to forgive us. And Lord, I pray for those in this room today that are considering how they would respond to God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts. They would hear your name calling them today. And that their eyes would be opened 
to realize you, Jesus, are God and you are alive. We worship you now through our giving, through our singing, and through our lives live for you. In Jesus' name we pray.